Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are my friends, Zach and Vince. We are going to talk about the DC Comics released on the 19th of June, 2019. And we're going to start with the latest release from DC's Black Label line, Superman Year One, written by Frank Miller, illustrated by John Romita Jr. Did either of you guys pick up a physical copy of this? No. Oh, so, so that, that, that I assume means you guys got two? <laughs> yes. Obviously. We know why. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was actually sent a promotional copy from DC. So I read... I, I had first read the PDF. And then when I got the promotional copy, I, I pulled it out and I, I started reading this. And... Um, I have to say, just my sort of before we talk about the the contents of the issue, I think this might be some of the best John Romita art since he came to DC. There are a couple of really bad panels where it looks like people were jokerized, but aside from that, I think this is pretty strong visual work. What do you guys think of Romita's artwork? Let's start there. I think some of it is the best work he's he's done in a long time. I and- mean. I still think that Suicide Squad was better than this. Just kidding. But I do think that <laughs> Silencer was maybe better than this. In terms of just his artwork? Yeah. Okay. I don't know about that. I thought there were a couple of pages in here that were really transcendent, really good stuff. I really enjoyed the initial like Clark in space moments. I thought those were particularly nice maybe because they weren't so full of Ramita faces <laughs> maybe that's why I enjoyed them so much um but no I, I thought that this was relatively strong Ramita art and I think that that carries the somewhat slight somewhat unnecessary somewhat bewildering story a little bit stronger than if it was um sort of an artist with less now, clout behind that, I don't know what the right way to put it is, but I think that his art really helps this story. Um, because, spoiler alert, I don't know why the fuck this book exists. <laughs> well, that's the big take-home point here, I think. Um, which I'm sure we'll get to, but... Well, go for it. We got there. Well, no, I'm I'm still on the art here, because I think... I do think I think the opening pages on Krypton are great and not just from a stylistic perspective or a detail perspective, but um, some of the technique that's being used as far as like point of view and, and things like that. It feels very it feels like we're seeing something that has happened in Superman comics a million times that we've seen a million times in a way that we've never quite seen before. Um, and that's with this story, that's really difficult to do. Do you mean that, that just because in every panel, Jor-El's making a nut face? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yes. He's nutting at the front. That's going to be the secret to Mr. Oz. <laughs> um, he gets off on planet destruction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. But um, what I was going to say is that only lasts for like eight to 10 pages or something. The rest of this comic shows you tons of stuff you've seen a million times done in very similar ways to what you've seen before. Uh, the rest of the comic doesn't 
doesn't give you a fresh perspective on anything, I don't think. And I don't really think there's anything novel about uh, the way the destruction of Krypton is depicted other than the artistic point of view. So so even that, there's not a, a ton of new take-home there, you know? Um, but I, I do think for those first several pages, it's a gorgeous-looking book. And then, and then there's pages where Ramita slips again, particularly when he's drawing... Uh, like a younger Clark Kent. Um, sometimes he looks fine. Other times he looks like he has a humongous head. Um, his age seems to vary from panel to panel, depending on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I really do think that the jokerizing of people's faces is disturbing. There's one <laughs> panel in particular. I got to pull up the PDF to find the page where Ma Kent looks like she was, she's saying, love that joker. And it, it's really bad. <laughs> Um, Zach, you talk for a minute while I find this page. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't like this at all. At all? It, not, not an, not an inch. I, I thought it dragged on so much. It felt so long, and just, I don't know. I just like. I guess the best thing I can say about it is that it's not what I would have expected from Frank Miller all the time. <laughs> it, there are some moments that are like genuinely kind and he does do a really good job of capturing that um, like small town aspect of early Superman stories Um that's really fun and important, but man, yeah, this is the story is slight. It's it's it meanders um, in some really weird ways. That the whole plot thread with um, Markham and the group of bullies that just eh, again just meanders until it kind of culminates with the the Lana attempted sexual assault thing which we can talk about later but then after that it, it's just completely it's gone because now we're on to clark and lana as a couple thing well um, not only that but that event that event you know clark stopping the sexual assault is basically the second time he does the exact same thing to these kids yeah you're right yeah, <laughs> like, and the first time it it was bad yeah it turned out badly but this time it just resolves. That was going to be my, you know, Zach, when you were saying about how there's some, there's some actual like nice moments of, of uh, heart or purity or whatever. Uh, there are, but then they're, they're, they're weirdly undone by things like that. Like, I'm not sure what, again, we're, we're having a creator and, and this happened with uh, Zack Snyder's man of steel movies where they're struggling to find they're struggling to find some sense of conflict between Clark and humanity and they're using his parents to try to navigate that and for some reason both Snyder and uh well Snyder and Goyer I guess right and mm -hmm. uh and Frank Miller here 
come down on the side of, well, we should make, you know, him or, or his parents, one of them kind of an asshole, you know, <laughs> like in the man, man of steel, his dad kind of comes off as an asshole, or at least his, his worldview is a little bit, uh, nihilistic or not what you would expect from a, a, a fantasy comic starring Superman. Right. And in this one, th- they have a whole dinner scene or whatever, where Clark is Clark and his parents are mulling over whether he should use violence to get Mom, back. Should at I Bolton. beat some ass? Yeah. Right. Uh, and they they kind of decide that like no that's not really the that's not really the right thing to do and then the like you said Brian the very next time he's faced with that dilemma he just does it again like he just throws these bullies around and to be we, fair Pa Kent kind of encourages that too yes exactly but but what but then what i'm saying is well then what do you have these scenes where you no i agree i agree you know what I mean? I just wanted to say, like, it wasn't like Clark was unilaterally like, I'm not going to listen to my parents. Like, every time Ma Kent is like, no, you shouldn't use violence, pause, like, but use some violence, kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're, they're, it's weird that they spend so much time on this lesson, and, and they, the worldview that they kind of present is that, because they do kind of make it seem like, well, violence isn't going to solve anything, it's just escalating this with the bullies, Right. But then he just goes back to using the same. There's, he doesn't change anything about his approach in the next encounter. You know, he's, it seems like he slightly pulls back a bit. Yeah, but like but that's it. Yeah. What does he What does he say at one point? Well, he he's not going to break anything, but he'll feel that in the morning or something like yeah. that. You know, and like okay, well, what is the real difference here? You know what I mean? Right. It seems like padding. It, it seems like you're you're not really learning anything and you're just repeating the same. Um, and it seems like every time they go back to the pot can't well here, that's, that's what we come away with. So there's no real, there's no real growth. That just seems to be Frank Miller's outlook on this, you know, which, which I, I fundamentally disagree with. Yeah. By um, the way, page 15 center right panel is the Jokerized uh, Ma Kent. <laughs> Page fifteen. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. That's that's great. Uh, uh, <laughs> there is a line I want to read you guys. Yeah. But but but, but keep keep talking amongst yourselves for a minute. Well, the other thing I was going to say is uh, regarding the the the, the Lana uh, assault scene. I we, we read I read about that online before we were able to get our hands on this comic. And I was, I guess relieved, relieved is probably not the right word, but I was relieved that on the page, it wasn't as bad as it was being made to sound. Uh, that said, I don't think, I, I think the only reason that scene exists is because this is a black label book and not the other way around. Like if you took that, there's maybe one or two harsh words in these 60 pages and that scene. And if you took those out, I, I don't see why this couldn't be published in DC's main line or just as like a, the sort like of PG or P, the sort of PG 13 rating that they usually go for. Well, and so, I have a theory about that, but go for okay, it. well, well, let me just finish my thought and then we'll get to your sure. theory. 
which is that like I still don't think I want I want Frank Miller writing a scene like that in 2019 uh, in a Superman book. Um, but I don't think I, I it's it was it was it was better than I had feared that it was going to be. Uh, I don't know if that counts for for much or anything, but uh, uh, I, I guess I just wanted to say that like it's not nearly as bad as it could have been considering who the writer was. I, I support that wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Zach, go ahead. Um, I think that this is going to get a lot worse. I think, um, <laughs> I think the next issue is going to really play heavy into the military aspect. And well, I guess he's in the Navy, but like the, we'll sell the seven seas. Yeah, I think I think he's gonna see some stuff. I think some I think some bad stuff is gonna happen because I think we're leading towards. I I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Miller has alluded to this that this is leading to the Superman that we see in like The Dark Knight Returns and stuff. Um, so, I I think that it might get a little darker. Yeah. So this issue, you're right. Like besides that one scene, is relatively tame. Um, but I, I kind of think that it's maybe going to get worse. So I, yeah. I want to give Frank Miller a little bit of credit here. I feel like there were a couple of things in this book that we haven't really seen much of in terms of his origin. I kind of like the idea of Clark being a cocky teenager and showing off a little bit. They don't really go too deep into that, but I think that's a, a somewhat interesting place to take it. Um, I don't think it was handled all that well, but I think overall that's sort of, you know, we've seen that a little bit here and there, but I thought this was, you know, a decent take on that. I thought the Clark and Lana stuff was reasonably sweet. Um... You know, not too terrible. The one thing I really liked was the idea that as Clark grows in his powers, he can his memory also gets more powerful. I've never seen that in a Superman comic before. I thought that was just an interesting new wrinkle there. Um, what you're gonna disagree with me, Vince? I was I gonna did, say I didn't Clark. say a damn thing. Okay, I think what. I was going to say Clark and Lana were very good all night. They barely made a sound. <laughs> that was one of the two lines I was going to read you. Jeez, oh, gross. no. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was um, Lana asked Clark, when are you going to start giving up some of your secrets? And he says, let me court you, Lana Lang. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most awkward line of dialogue. Normal, it, normal teenage. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. You mentioned the the like cocky teen aspect. Um, along those lines, this reminded me a lot of Smallville. Yes, I the agree. TV show, um, especially the the football stuff and um, just kind of like the later high school aspects. Mm -hmm. um, some major Smallville vibes. Yeah. Um. You know, but again, if we have to like dig into these little minute pieces of it to find stuff worth talking about, then what the hell is this book there for? 
Yeah, I don't get why. I don't get why we keep doing this. <laughs> what the podcast or or what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, do you mean like the retelling of the Superman origin? Yeah. Do do we ever need to see this story again? Ever. It's really funny that it's called Year One, but this first issue is like his first 18 years of life. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck. I guess this is a worthwhile question in light of reading this issue. What is the best Superman origin story in comics? Um... I don't know. I've never read. I actually don't know. So what are the big ones? There's the like John Byrne, Man of Steel. Man of Steel, that, yes. Yeah. Um, Birthright. Yeah, Birth. I've read Birthright, but it's been a really long time. Um, I haven't read John's Secret Origin, surprisingly. Um, are there any other ones? The big that three like, post-crisis. That are like the big three post-crisis ones are Man of Steel, Birthright, and Secret Origin. Okay. Um. I can't remember the last time I read any of those, but I feel like it's probably between Birthright and Secret Origin, for me. I would think so too. Vince, what say you? Uh, Secret Origin is probably my favorite. It's also the one I've read most recently, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I just... We know it like the back of our hands, right? Um, I wonder if the reason it's told so often is because there isn't a definitive version. I just think think we're addicted to retelling the same shitty stories over and over again. I I don't disagree with that. But, I mean, if we ask, like, what's the definitive Batman origin story, I feel like we all have an answer. I think you have the same... No, I think you have the same problem. You don't think year one has pretty much become, like, the Batman origin story? I guess not really an mm-hmm. origin story. I guess that's more of, a, like, a young adventure story. Yeah, I mean, the the origin story is the, the crime alley. Right. Which is told Which, even more often than Superman. Yeah. Just... Right. Every run has to have it at least once. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I guess I can say that this was not. This was better than I expected it would be. Yeah, I, my predictions for future issues kind of go along with what Zach said, but I also think you're going to see a steep decline in, in Ramita art. That's probably true as well. So get out while you can, folks. <laughs> Enjoy this issue and move along. Enjoy this issue for for whatever you know you can. Um, so the one fun thing we were gonna do though is we were each gonna go through what we thought the narration would sound like <laughs> for this book. So uh, should we all read the same page? Should we pick different pages? Um, it might be good if we read the same the same part, maybe. Okay. So want to do the first page then? The, the first panel has like four dialogue boxes there. 
Sure. So Zach, who, so, who did, so that first panel. Yeah. Who did you okay, think we'll this? Uh, who did you picture reading this? So I read this entire comic as the narrator from the video game Bastion, um, who kind of, as you play, uh, for those who haven't played it, um, he just kind of narrates all the things that you do in the game in this very uh, dramatic way. He has this kind of deep southern draw uh, that I'll probably, even though I am from the south, will probably butcher, but it would go something like this. The air seems to boil. Lightning flashes, thunder roars, a planet-wide storm. There is no rain, no relief. The crust roars and wrenches. Everything falls and clatters and breaks. Everything screams. Very nice. So I kind of read it as the narrator from the opening of Heart to Heart slash Jimmy Durante from, Ru- from uh, Frosty the Snowman. The ass seemed to boil. Lightning flashes, thunder roars, a planet-wide storm. There is no no rain, no relief. The crust roars and wrenches. Everything falls and clatters and breaks. Everything screams, (laughs) ha-cha-cha-cha. Vince? Uh, I, I, (laughs) I just read it. I was boring. I just read it as Frank Miller, but for some reason, I mean, I don't really know what Frank Miller sounds like. Uh, so I just think it, he sounds like Christian Bale's Batman. So to me, it was like, the air seems to boil. Actually, that's, isn't, that's this more is like your a, Rorschach. This is your Rorschach. <laughs> that's, that's, more, that's more like a, I, I just did an Andy Samberg as Nick Cage. <laughs> this is Crypto Rorschach. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do Andy Samberg as uh, as Nick Cage in these classic SNL Weekend Update get in the cage sketches. Okay. The air seems to boil. <laughs> Lightning flashes. Thunder roars. A planet-wide storm. There is no rain. No relief. The crust roars and wrenches. Everything falls and clatters and breaks. Everything screams. <laughs> My hair zigs and zags across my head. You guys do know what Nick Cage's son's name is, right? Yeah, Jor- uh, Kal-El. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, Kal-El. I almost said Jor-El. Yeah. <laughs> he, named after, he named him after Superman's dad. I want my grandson to be Superman. <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe. He's crazy. Look yeah, he is crazy. Ugh. Anything else to say about this weird comic? Did you know that he was in Teen Titans Go? Yes. The, he, mov- so the yes. movies, I mean? Yes, he plays Superman. Kal-El Cage. Oh, really? <laughs> no, because Nick Cage yeah. plays Superman in that movie. No, Kal-El Cage is young Bruce Wayne. Oh, okay, wow. Oh, that's pretty great. Have you guys watched that movie yet? No. No, oh, I so haven't. Great. It is so great. Is it on the DC Universe app? I don't believe so. Hmm. It might be on the HBO Go app, though. Oh, okay. So, we'll see. Anyway, let's talk about Aquaman number 49, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic. This is the second part of the Mother Shark arc, which um, last issue kind of ended on a cliffhanger, with the revelation that Mira was the one who killed 
Arthur, even though I thought, you know, I'm going to save this. I, I have some questions about the sort of continuity stuff here that are really silly and gonna, are going to bog us down if we start with that. So, Zach, let's start with you, since you didn't have that much to say about Superman. What do you think of this issue of Aquaman? Uh, um, well, first, I, I kind of think I know what you're going to say, and I have a, a pin to put on that, because it, if it's the same thing, it reminds me of something else. So, But we'll, we'll hold it off, because I liked this. So did I, overall, yeah. Um, I liked this quite a bit, actually. I think this is maybe my favorite issue of the Kelly Sue run so far. Vince? I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I was really hoping we'd talk about it this week because of how much I liked it. Uh, I think the, the way that Kelly Sue writes the back and forth here between Arthur and Mira is very real. And I think like, I like I can see a two people, a couple that, that love one another doing this exact conversation in this exact way. It's not like sometimes writers do a, a conversation like this, Tom King, where they overdo it and they don't sound like real people, you know? I feel like these are real human beings that are talking about this predicament that they're in right now. And to me, that sold the whole issue to me. Beyond, like, just the great Bogdanovic art, beyond the, the greater tapestry of what DeConnick is weaving here. Just that central conversation of this issue between the two of them and how it kind of flips from Mira being the one who's a little bit on the defensive to Arthur being that one uh, when when he finds out about this baby that, that she's apparently having. It, it just seemed really realistic. And it was also realistic in that you know, they're having this big, important conversation and it doesn't completely blow up. You know, I think another thing when we're talking about well, it writer, does at the end. <laughs> <laughs> literally, yeah. yes, <laughs> no, but but like I think when we talk about uh, writers and people who write fiction or fictional relationships, they tend to take everything to 11 right away. You know, uh, a conversation like this is going to end the relationship, you know, or it's going to 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 just destroy everything for a while. And no, these are th these are written as two adults uh that are maybe reacting a little bit extremely in the moment, but like at no point do I think like oh god, w one of them is treating the other one really poorly right now or I mean until so she and literally so, kills him. So <laughs> You know what I'm saying, though. Like <laughs> your point is somewhat undercut by how it by how it ends, though. You must recognize that. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm talking about the literal conversation that is. <sighs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I I do see what you're saying. Um, yeah. I have a somewhat different take on this issue, which is that. While I enjoyed reading this comic, there has never been 
an Aquaman comic where he has sounded anything like this. This is a completely different character that we are supposed to believe is Arthur Curry. The way he's like teasing Mira in their converse in their, you know, early conversation before she, you know, goes and kills him. Um He's horny. Yeah, but we we have never seen Arthur have a sense of humor like this at all. They're trying to turn him into the into the bro Jason Momoa. Yeah, there's but never been a horny me, and never <laughs> shall I horny be. And if the sacred vow I break, I pray my wife my life to take. <laughs> Nicely played. Oh God! I almost don't want to keep talking because that's too perfect, but. No, I just, I, I, while I enjoyed what this issue was trying to do, I could not forgive the just blatant disregard for everything that we've ever seen Arthur to be. And I feel like this, the part of my problem with this is that DeConnick paints herself into a corner she has no reason to do so, she, she has no reason to do, because because Arthur is losing part of his memory with this, he's only gaining back, you know, pieces of his memory. So if you want to make him into more of the broish Momoa guy well great you have you have a a self-appointed vehicle in which to do that you can say like he forgot how he used to talk so now he talks like a dude bro like that's totally within the realm but to have a, a, a piece set before then just really to me I did not like it and I actually thought this issue was pretty bad uh in the dialogue o- overall um I thought it was the weakest the weakest scripted, but my favorite plot of the comic so far. Interesting. Um, and my second point, which I was going to bring up before, is I feel like DeConnick is also changing the end of Dan Abnett's Aquaman story. Because at the end of Abnett's Aquaman story, Arthur goes away. He's presumed dead. And he washes up on the shore of this place, which is where her story begins. But here, that doesn't happen. Here, Mira kills him, and that's how he winds up on that island. And and I'm not trying to be a continuity wonk here, but that story happened like six months ago. Well, here's here's my... This is what I wanted to say in response to that. Well, first, um, I don't think that... I mean, at the end of Abnett's, at the end of that crossover and Abnett's run and everything, I don't think it was clear exactly where he ended up. He just washed up on the shore somewhere. Right. This situation reminds me a lot of the 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 situation surrounding Bruce's status in the Batman R.I.P. Final Crisis, Batman Reborn era, where it seems like Bruce died in RIP, but actually he was fine and he went on to go do Final Crisis and then he died. So you have two different deaths or two different apparent deaths, which is what's happened here. It looks like at the end of Atlantis Attacks or whatever, that's not what it's called, whatever that crossover was, that he died. Amazon Attacks. It wasn't that one either. Guerrilla Warfare. That's it. Um, At the end of Guerrilla Warfare... Cry for Justice. At the end of Cry for Justice, Aquaman looked like he died, but he was actually fine. 
and then he went and did this off-panel story and died for real and that's when but that again like i'm not trying to be the continuity police here but mira's in justice league because of the effects at the end of that abnet aquaman run so that is weird that's that is the weird part you know it just it just to me seems like deconic and i'm not necessarily blaming deconic although you know she may be responsible for this i just feel like this is dc editorial being like we need to get this this and this there make this happen uh because i just think that this is really lazy comic writing dc editorial would never interfere with (laughs) the story yeah so you you take that back that's true what was i thinking I'm sorry to have besmirched the good name of editors everywhere. Uh, no, but and I, I know that sounds nitpicky, but I just feel like, especially because I I thought Abnett's run was by far the best Aquaman we've gotten in years, and I thought specifically his Mira was really really strong. To have so much of the of the work he did for those characters somewhat just thrown away because they want to make him more Momoa like. And then especially when, like I said, there's that device to make him more Momoa-like without throwing away Abnett's work. It just seems very lazy, very insulting to the fans, and, you know, just not good. One one thing I thought about that I wanted to ask you guys, because I couldn't quite remember, but wasn't it alluded to in Abnett's run that Mira would still kill Arthur or be responsible for his death. Possibly familiar. It feels like it was years ago. <laughs> well, it, it Brian, Brian says it was only six months ago, but I have no idea how long ago it actually was. I'll be <laughs> I'm, damned. Guessing, I'm guessing it's six months ago. Um, Any of our readers who no. are experts on Aquaman and the Abnett run, please don't. <laughs> tweeted Zach since Vince isn't tweeted on Twitter me. he shouldn't care I have solved your puzzle that's the joke that's interesting there. though Brian I I can't I I didn't have as much of a problem with the dialogue um, just because like I think I lean closer to Vince in that I, I felt like she wrote their relationship and and kind of like playfulness really well that's not their relationship that's my uh, point. well she wrote a relationship that's very playful that's all in good i don't disagree with that they, they can be playful i don't i don't feel like it's set in stone that they don't have a playful relationship No, but this is not like i just feel like neither character is particularly acting like that character i don't think i have a good enough feel for what these characters are supposed to sound like and even, or and even I mean after like Abnett's run supposed to sound like, um, but the thing that I, the I guess the biggest problem I have with this issue is just like how quickly it escalates. Um, See, I I actually thought that Arthur sounds like Homer Simpson when they're arguing. Oh, Jesus! Wow! Like where he's half listening to Marge all the time and just like talking about himself. <laughs> And just basically being a bad person. Oh man, he's, he's just doing the doing it the max power way. Yeah, exactly. But like, is it my favorite my favorite Homer Simpson line of all time is Marge asks him a serious question and he says, "Yeah, jelly's better than syrup." 
Where there's the opposite. Yes, syrup's better than jelly. Just like out of nowhere, just like answering a question he's asking himself in his head. And that's exactly what Arthur does with that entire scene. He just doesn't listen to anything Mira said. And basically, he's a combination of Homer Simpson and, and Peggy Bundy asking for sex. <laughs> yeah, and Mira says no peg and kills him. Exactly. Yeah, this is essentially the 1990 Fox Sunday Night lineup. Yeah, and then, and then he, she says, well, it looks like it's back to prison for me. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I don't mean to be raining on the parade here. I, I just felt this was a less than great issue, dialogue-wise. That's interesting. I guess the only thing I'll say uh, about that is that I, I just prefer when... <laughs> I prefer when when every character is given a bit of a personality or a bit of a sense of humor. Now, now you may think that that went over the top, and that's fine. I can see that, but but like, I would rather have an Aquaman that's a little jokey. I would. I always want my Flash to be a little jokey. I want I want everyone to have a sense of humor. If and if Aquaman doesn't have that, then what does he have? You know. So, um, I prefer characters to have a bit of wit to them. Um, in general, and I, I would, you know, people, <laughs> that's what, that w- was what was originally missing from, like, the Snyder DCU movies, and some people say the Marvel movies take that too far, but, you know, I vastly prefer that to just the wooden cardboard version of Aquaman that we've gotten for so long. But I don't you know? think the Abnett version was the wooden version of Aquaman. I mean, maybe not, but... How quickly you forget, Vince. I I don't recall, like, I liked a lot of stuff about the Abnett run, but I don't recall Arthur's characterization being a big part of that. No. The world building, I think, was the strong part of Abnett's I'm, run. I don't disagree that the world building was stronger than his Arthur characterization, but I, I just, I don't know. This just... Like I said, it just feels especially lazy to me because there is the device right there to make him any way you want to make him. And, and it's, it's, it's even better than that. It's a, it's, you can have him regain 8% of his memory and be a little bit the old Arthur and you remake him and then we get tired of that. He gets his memory back and becomes the old Arthur. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card that they could do anything they wanted with and they totally ignored it in favor of telling a story that was set before that and just making up their own characterization. Yeah. Apparently on the continuity crank tonight. Apparently. I mean, I guess I just like fun comics and you don't. So that's that's fine. You know, the, the, those yuck em up I, comics where I'm... spouses kill each other? <laughs> <laughs> that's comics, baby. <laughs> Every every superhero significant other should be chasing them around with a rolling pin at all times. <laughs> uh, I would laugh if I didn't know you were serious. <laughs> I'm never serious. Why so serious? The Joker's trick. <laughs> all right, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute with more DC Three Guests. Mm-hmm. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back. Before we get into our final three reviews, we're going to go over our lists for this week. Uh, on the good list is American Carnage. On the Sandman Universe list is Lucifer. On the Vertigo list is High Level. On the Jurgens list is Night... Was, was it Goddess Mode? Which one was Goddess it? Goddess Mode. Goddess Mode. High, high Level is next week. Uh, Goddess Mode is on the Vertical list. The vertical list. Uh, Nightwing <laughs> is on the Jurgens list. And Pearl <laughs> is on the Bendis list. So, there we go with that. But, coming up next is a spicy meat ball of a comic. And that is Batman number 73. Written by Tom King. Illustrated by Michael Janine. Can I offer my hot take on this issue? Please. This is the worst issue of Batman so far. Oh, oh. no, because I texted Vince that it was, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and sip some tea and let you guys, the tea has been spilled. Okay, so <laughs> how do you want to do this, Zach? I don't know. You, I talk first, you talk first. Why don't we each? That's a Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, why don't why don't you say one thing you liked, and I'll say one thing I don't like. We'll go back and forth that way, okay? Okay. Um, and one and thing I'll, that can, I... can I say whether I agree with? Yes, and then you have to decide which of us is right. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing that I liked, and this is a big thing. Like this is a very broad, overreaching thing, and it might actually be the only thing that I liked. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Zach is hedging so hard. Yes, he no, is. No, I'm not even. I'm not even hedging. I'm not. I'm not hedging or edging. I almost said edging. Um, <laughs> I'm edging. Are you ledging? <laughs> um, no, I like that. If this is the thing, if this is the thing that Tom King is doing, that he is going to bring back both of Bruce's parents. I'm in for that. One hundred percent. I think that that is interesting. Can we can we hold off on that conversation until later? But th- I feel like that's not about the issue. I feel like that's not about the issue. That is the issue. That's the no, entire no, 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 no. issue. No, that that okay, is something not, that it's the ending. That is something that comes out in the issue. That is like yes. that's a that is not the issue. I know I'm being pedantic here, but I feel like you're being a little pedantic. But I feel like that's oh, not okay. 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 Otherwise, okay. Okay. Well, then I'll give you one thing that I like. Okay. Besides that, because I think that there is a thing. I liked. Well, this is kind of obtuse too. This is big. I liked how this issue picks up and moves the story from the ending of the last issue which I know is like vague and obtuse, but the last issue ended weirdly with a lot of, I don't even remember. There were a lot of things happening. I think wasn't, 
that it was the issue the re- that had, nothing like, the happened. Two it was just a recap issue. That was the recap issue. You're right. Okay, then I'm thinking of the issue before that. The issue before that, which was the one that had the the Fornes and the Janine parts going concurrently, and it ends with apparently Bruce getting his back broken again. Mm-hmm. I like how this issue just picks up from that as a matter of fact thing that happened. Like Bruce had his back broken again, and now he's okay, and now we're moving on. I like that. Okay. What I don't like is the idea of Thomas Wayne singing Home on the Range 11 times in a comic. <laughs> well, no one in their right mind would like that. <laughs> so, Vince, which of us is more right? Well, obviously, you're more right on that one, Brian, because uh, there's one man who likes that, and it's Tom King. Yeah. Okay, this, this isn't it's... fair, because Brian <laughs> is discounting the one reason that I liked but, this comic he, as a reason to like it. No, no, but here's the thing. I don't disagree. Okay, so okay, we're just gonna fuck this this game I came up with. We're just gonna talk about the this this thing now. I feel like if we, <laughs> we were convinced that Tom King's thing he was gonna add to the Batman mythos was CTE, this is infinitely <laughs> better s- than that. <laughs> okay, I said that that was mostly a joke. I know, but but I didn't. Re- <laughs> No, I really kind of I we kind that of thought that's where that. it was going. We I thought it was a possibility, it. but it was not my prediction. Yes, okay. but what I'm saying is, if this is, if this is the thing that's going to change Batman for a generation, then like, I think it's a stupid idea in general. But I think it's a stupid enough idea. It's a stupid idea that screams comics, right? So there can be like in the right hands. Like Grant Morrison could have had a field day with this, because he because he thrives on like weird continuity and and alternate universes and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that there is there is something to to be mined here by the right creators, but that isn't to say that this issue establishes that well, or that this issue makes me want to read that comic. Just because that idea is presented I, does not mean I want to read Tom I, King's I version I disagree of with you, and I think that this issue did establish it well. Why? Because I think that the way that it leads you to the conclusion and the revelation that it's his mom is fairly well done. They they lay out he lays out that they are going to a Lazarus pit and a name pit. A what? A name pit. A name pit? Yeah, it's not a Lazarus pit, it's a name pit. Okay, I believe okay. the difference if I'm if I'm remembering my obtuse Batman knowledge here, I believe a name pit is if somebody is longer dead. Okay. Okay. Like, I, isn't there a thing where like, you have to get somebody in the Lazarus pit quickly? Yeah, Probably. but there's but there's yeah. never been a name pit before. This is this is something new. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I just presumed that then. But I I think that this, in the context of Tom King's run, if this happens, which I will qualify that I. I'm not quite sure that I believe that this is actually going to happen because he's introducing it so early. 
I mean, he's still got 12 issues left, which I guess in terms of his previous decompression, that doesn't mean anything. If you look at the um, September solicits, both issues are an interlude. Yes, I did see that. So, <laughs> so it could. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But his run has been about should should Batman be Batman? What are why? What makes him be Batman? Can he not be Batman? Can he do certain things while being Batman? And I guess kind of in a really broad, general way, fixing Batman. And how do you fix Batman other than undoing the thing that made him be Batman? And then would that thing actually fix him? I think that that's a really interesting question. And I have to give King credit for moving the story in that direction. I don't disagree with anything you just said, except that it took Tom King 73 issues to get to that question. And I don't mm -hmm. think that the payoff is any better that it happened in issue 73 than if it happened in issue 9. Oh, well, I don't disagree with that either. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, all the nightmares, jokes and riddles shit was all... Well, I'm not saying that Tom King's whole run was good. I'm no, I'm I not saying this no, issue. No, no, no. I'm just agreeing. I'm agreeing with 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 what Brian just said, but I'm not disagreeing with you. I, yeah, the, I mean, it's easy to see why DC pulled the plug early on this. Uh, I also think I, that I'm sorry, Vince. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I think. Uh, there somewhere within Tom King, there's a writer that sometimes maybe in the past has appealed to us, right? Mm -hmm. That writer doesn't write a hundred issues of anything though. Right. Right. I think, I think that writer writes like six to 12 issues of something, Right. that writer yeah. writes 12 issues of the Omega man. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, without have without going back and reading it and, and knowing for sure. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't believe he sings through this whole fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, so that that's sort of what I was going to say is I feel like while there might be a kernel of a good idea in this issue, the issue itself was intolerable to read. Just the the singing throughout all of it and I feel like it's singing a song that is so dumb to have to have Thomas Wayne sing. Like there's there's not even a uh to me, there is there is no logical reason why this would be the song you would sing. It doesn't well, it's tell us even more illogical that he's singing while fighting as well. Yes. Um, the other thing I'll say is that because of the way that it's the way the story is told, we never get. Um, so the cover shows Thomas on the horse, and he's like dragging a. He's, he's making Bruce walk behind him, right? I When I saw the interior of the issue, and you see he's on the horse and Bruce is laid over the horse, you see it's nighttime. And I legitimately thought, oh, he has a casket to drag Bruce around during the daytime. So, like, he doesn't get sun poisoning. I never once questioned who was in the casket. Because I thought that that would... I, to me, this reminded me of like a Western. Like that's, I feel like in an old Western, there would totally be something like this happen. 
you would have somebody bringing a live person in a casket across the desert. Sure. And I felt like, okay, that's that's what's happening here. There's no re- So when they said someone else was in the casket, I was like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to have been wondering who's in the casket the whole time? Because they never established the casket as any as having any import whatsoever until Bruce figures out who's in it. I think that's good. I think that's a good thing, though. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. I think, I think you assuming that that it may have been to carry Bruce around in the in the hot desert sun actually plays into the twist a lot better than me, who just bl- blankly, dumbly read the comic and didn't think about the coffin until the end. I think I think you helped Tom King out there. That sounds like a much better reading experience. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't, bro. I, okay, well, it it does it sounds like I also I, I guess my other big problem with with this issue and specifically how this issue fits into King's run is I don't understand his characterization of Thomas Wayne at all. Because oh, the, I think I do. I what were you going to say, Vince? I was just going to say it's all over the place, but Zach, if you've got it, lay yeah, it on us. Because to well, me, so my, let me just say this, Zach, t- and then, and okay, then okay. I want you to, to, to sort of tell me that I'm wrong here. The whole last issue was Thomas Wayne narrating how Bane has fucked up Bruce. And he basically ends it with saying, like, what do I do now? Like, what's what's the next move here, Baney boy? And then he goes and he does something to try and fix Bruce again. And I don't believe that it's been established that he's letting Bane do this so he can build him back up. I know that's what we're supposed to think he's doing, but I don't think the text has led any credence to that. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. And again, the problem with this run, I think, is I come at every issue as a individual thing because I can't remember what happened in the previous <laughs> issue. Um, it hurts too as, case in point, I had forgotten that the last issue was the recap one. Um, and I really don't even remember what happened in that issue. Nothing happened in that issue. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as, like, Thomas's, um, like, uh, characterization and, or, or that sort of thing. But in this issue, this is not communicated well. Maybe this is just my headcanon, I guess. But that's what we're all working on here at this point, I guess. But it seemed like Thomas was playing along with Bane just to break Bruce down and get him off the board so that he could do this thing so that he could do this so that he could recreate their family. See, I feel like that was, that was almost the Thomas Wayne that we had at the end of the button where he basically leaves Bruce saying, don't be Batman, be happy. Mm-hmm. And that plants the seed in his head that eventually leads to him and Catwoman and sort of, you know, kicks off the the real, like, overarching narrative of King's Run. But then that character went away for 60 issues, and we saw him written totally differently without any bit of that sort of tenderness, only to have that character pop up here a couple years later similarly in the same place that he was when we left him at the end of the button. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Vince, anything to add to this? Um, can I tell you what I what I actually think is going to happen? Sure. Um, this is this is going to be my official prediction. I kind of alluded. Unlike uh, the Batman CTE. <laughs> What's that? Unlike the Batman CTE, this is an actual prediction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. This is my. This is my official one. Mark it down. Uh, I sent you guys a text about this a couple weeks ago, but I think the most likely outcome of this is that they're gonna they're gonna re- resurrect the Wayne family, but that's not gonna be the thing that sticks. What's gonna happen is them coming back together and ultimately being ripped apart again, because that's what happens in comics is going to lead Bruce to realize that if he can't have that family, then he's going to have a regular family again. And he and Selena are going to get back together and they're going to have Helena, Helena Wayne, uh, down the line, you know, he'll get Selena pregnant and, and they'll have a daughter. And that's the change going forward. Well, they I could don't... have done that 50 issues ago. <laughs> yes. They could have, but that's not... I mean, he wanted a 105-issue run, right? So True. there's some other, some other way to do that. I mean, that, that that's what I was going to say was, is part of my reason why I don't think that's what King was talking about is just because I feel like that is not that is not a revolutionary enough idea. Like based on what he said in the interview it was like we're changing everything forever. And I feel like going back to his golden age time as a father is not that kind of idea. I don't know. I I don't know. Look, I hope you're right. To me that's a fine if if the ultimate sum of Tom King's Batman is a new uh, Helena, Helena Wayne, like that's that and and officially being married to Cat. I think that I think they'll get married. I am totally fine with that, but like Zach said, that could have happened a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I hated this issue so much, though. <laughs> Like I said, about an issue that we all kind of liked. Do we have an issue we all kind of liked? I assume that we maybe all kind of liked this next one. Justice League number twenty six, written by James Tynion the fourth, illustrated by Javi Fernandez. Yeah, that one. That's the one. You'd be correct, at least for me. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Yay! I liked it a lot. <laughs> we like a book. Um, who wants to talk about it? Apparently you do. Okay. Um, I think that this is the best Tanyan written epi- uh, issue of Justice League so far. For sure. Uh, of Justice League proper, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought that this was a ton of fun. I thought the um, House of Heroes segment was really, really well written. Very I mean, fun. That, that, um, that is so up our alley, too, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It is, it is. But, I mean, it was... It, it was I think written really really well. Like Barry's characterization was fun. 
the Captain Carrot moment was very good. Um, Fernandez's art is really great in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought the stuff with um, with uh, um, Mira and Hot Girl was very very good as well. Um, and, and then uh, I would say like the Martian Manhunter part was probably my least favorite of the issue but the reveal at the end was interesting so um no i i like this quite a bit yeah for sure was this the comic where uh the question said herm or was that a different yes. no yeah, that was okay. this one yeah. it was yes i like that <laughs> more of that um yeah i loved the 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 hawk Hawk girl? Is it Hawk girl or is it Hawk woman? What are we going? That's a good question. I don't know. I believe it's Hawk girl. Okay, Hawk girl. If I'm not mistaken, Kendra is always Hawk girl. Okay. Yes. I I think you're right. I just didn't know if they changed that for like modernization reasons or or anything like that. Women's Um, lib. What? What'd you say? I said for women's lib. Yeah. Sure. Um. Which I'm I'm totally in favor of. I don't oh, know about you, Brian. Oh, but, I, I, I'm totally fucking around. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I liked that part. I liked seeing like the metal men working and. Uh, oh God, did I love that part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the and super the dip- brains like together figuring shit out. Yep, and and Green Arrow for some reason. I mean, I guess he's <laughs> I guess he's a techie, but. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. was in with the detectives. Yeah, but he's not really a detective, right? Like, well, so here's here's what I thought about that scene that didn't happen. I thought that we were gonna get like a soft event Leviathan. I had the same uh, thought because that is that all the people in that room are on the cover of the next issue of Event Leviathan. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Um, you know, guys. Since these are DC comics, technically every character is a detective, I think. That is true. You're right. That is yeah. true. We should start referring to him as Detective Detective Chimp. And call him like <laughs> Detective Superman, Detective Batman. You know, Detective just... Green Arrow. Yes, of yeah. course. Um, Let's just incessantly do that for the rest of our podcast and see how many listeners we can maintain. Okay. If, if we say things like, uh, I really enjoyed the scene between Detective Mira and Detective Kendra. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I really, really love anytime we get Detective Detective Dan Turpin. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Detective Lionel Luther shows up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Oh man, oh, with yeah. Lionel Luther, yeah, yet more was, Smallville vibes this week. Yep, yep. Very, very, very fun issue. Very cool. I think. Very legal. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I, th- I think Justice League is back, baby. I think uh, I think it's good again. I think the last arc was really good, and I think this is good. It's back on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the sort of insane, large-scale shit I want out of my Justice League comics. Um, yeah, this is it's very good. Javi Fernandez is uh, Italian chef kiss emoji. 
Yeah, not, not someone I would have picked for a Justice League book, a big team book, but very good. Yeah. He does a lot of really uh a, re- a lot of really good stuff in that um Hall of Heroes scene too. Mhm. Um, I also did like. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, that's from a book we're going to talk about later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got something confused there. Um, um, one, one last thing I want to say is I, I am consistently surprised how much the House of Heroes and multiversity characters are being used in, in DC. I I like the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not being used with particular purpose. Like, it's not like they're building towards something. They just show up now and then. But I'm totally fine with that. I like that. Well, it seems like they may play a part in the Justice Do More thing. Mm-hmm. But it's but that that's a new thing. Like, they've been showing up before then. Yes, true. Yes, yeah. They're usually there. I, I think they showed up in an issue of Flash recently. Um, they were in that Tomasi Gleason Superman arc. <laughs> They've maybe shown up a few other times, but but yeah, it's more it's kind of more world building, set dressing kind of thing, but it's always fun. Yeah. Justice Doom War is like the clunkiest thing to say. I, I know. It's gonna be awesome, but <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue like Sinestro Core War or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Um All right. Well let's let's wrap up this episode. By talking about Teen Titans number 31, written by Adam Glass, illustrated by Bernard Chang. This came out the same week that the season premiere of Krypton came out, which also featured Lobo. So this is the week of the Lobo. Um, yeah. He's the main man. He is the main man. Um, this opening scene gave me such Men in Black vibes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Give me some sugar water. Sugar <laughs> and water. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Come on, Vince. It's your turn for your Vincent D'Onofrio impression. Uh, mine was mine. I I I imagine this more as uh, a. It's time uh, for your Vincent D'Onofrio impression. <laughs> I will not. I will not do one. So you should have just said like a regular sentence. Said it was from Law and Order. <laughs> I was gonna, do, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna do an Anton Chigurh reference. Ah, okay. That's clearly who Lobo is here. What's the most you've ever lost on a frag and coin toss? <laughs> you gotta throw the word frag in there. Or something. Of course, of course. Or bastitch. Yeah, I said. Bastacho instead of Frendo. Ah, very good. Yeah. Um, this comic was this comic was fun. Fairly disposable, right? Like it's it's basically two big action set pieces. The first one between Lobo and the the alien shopkeeper, bodega keeper, um, and then the second one between him and the Teen Titans, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not much more to it than that. Um, I'm relieved to see that it's a two-issue arc. Yes. That's like... To me, that is the absolute longest that a story like this could be. <laughs> you know? 
set it up in one, knock it down in the next one. I feel like that's the way most stories should be written. Um, so I guess, I guess what I'd say is like, th- this is not, this doesn't hold up to the, the high characterization standards that Adam Glass's run, uh, have had so far, but for like a breezy action heavy, uh, Lobo cameo, cameo comic, lots of fun. Very, very easy to read. Goes down easy, you know, mm-hmm. Zach, that, that Shang art. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I, I think we have always been Cliff Shang appreciators or uh, Bernard Chang. I'm sorry. I was going to say both, both really both, both. both yeah, both, <laughs> both definitely, but both are very good. But Bernard Chang is just really bringing it. And, um, Maiolo's colors. Oh man. That page with the, um, with Lobo throwing down the the train, mm-hmm. I think it's page uh, eighteen in our PDF. Yeah, that's a gorgeous page. So good. Um, I think Mayolo is one of the most underrated colorists out there. One hundred percent. And I think him with Chang is a perfect combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Before, I think he was more associated with working with Andrea Sorrentino. Yes. Um, rightfully so. Like their work together was incredible. On, um, I think Green Arrow might have been the first thing that we... no, they no, did. He did. I vampire. I vampire together. You're right. Um, but yeah, this is just next level stuff, and really, this team is really well suited for it too because of how kind of colorful they are um it's a really bright book very saturated yeah Um, my overall take for this book was that it was like the popcorn book of the week it looked good yeah there wasn't much to it but it was enjoyable it took you you know two minutes to read probably um and that's okay like it was just it was a fun it was a fun, somewhat disposable book, and I think that what this will do is this will somewhat reset the deck for the next story. Because at the end of the last arc, you know, the team is really in shambles, and we haven't seen them on the same page about anything for a long time. This arc kind of resets things a little bit and allows them to get back to having a common purpose, which is important, I think. Because I don't really want to see a book... That is just the Teen Titans fighting all the time amongst each other. You know, I think there's a place for that, but there needs to be more to the book than just that. Mm-hmm. And Chang's art is just so damn good. Well, boys, you ready to talk about what's coming next week? Uh, Yeah, I don't have it up. Right I now. do. <laughs> I do. I got it for us. So we got Action Comics. We got Batman Beyond. Batman Damned. Fingers crossed for more dick. Um, Grayson, right? Of course. We got Detective Comics, Dial H for Hero, um, High Level, Justice League Dark, uh, Martian Manhunter, scrolling, 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 um, The Flash, the final issue of The Silencer, The Terrifics, 
Wonder Woman. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to talking about all of that. It's going to be here before we know it. It will be. Uh, <laughs> you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm Matt Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is being dragged behind a horse in a desert. <laughs> a horse with no name. Of course. There's one thing I know about you is that you're a patriot. Of course, you'd be in a song by the band America. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels good to be out of the rain. <laughs> Amen, brother. Talk to you guys soon. So in Justice League, uh, Flash says to, um, I forget who it is, Cyborg maybe? He says, don't go near Earth 43, they're biters. I say that's the yeah. Scott Alley Earth. Ha 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 ha